Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., and today, Glenn Kirshner is back. That's former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. He's been on the show a couple of times. We did, I did kind of address the last time he was on the show, there was a bit of a technical issue, but thankfully, that's all been worked out. So we do talk about that just for a second. Um, and I just want to get into it that on tomorrow, Steph and I are going to do a patrons-only show. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to talk to Frangela. Uh, not sure who's coming on next week. I haven't booked yet, but I, I'm really looking forward to talking to Frangela. There's so much fun. Um, but I do want to kind of address before we get into the main show, um, the whole patrons only situation, because, you know, as everybody who is a regular listener of the show knows that I've been kind of playing around with what I want to do. It used to be called into another thing, but when, when I started doing the show on my own, I kind of got lost. So now I do two patrons only shows per month. Most of the time it's going to be Steph and I talking because you guys love that. I just, you know, occasionally she might not be able to make it for something and I'll either do it with someone else or I'll do a solo show, but I'm going to go off of what you, your feedback and your feedback is, um, people love when Steph and I are on. I know she's going to do a free show with me, I think this month, but at some point soon, um, the nice thing is that we're friends in real life. So when we're talking on these patrons only shows, you get a, a, a little bit more of a sense of our personal lives and our, our personal feelings about things. And that's the whole goal, to give patrons something a little extra. We're still going to talk about the uh, important po- like political conversations and we're going to talk about whether it's feminism or sexism or you know sex in general or whatever. We're going to talk about the juicy stuff, but it's going to have more of a personal slant to it. So here's what I'm going to do. I've been, up until this point, making those shows for patrons only starting at the, the dollar a month tier. So if you're pledging a dollar a month, you got both shows. So starting in January, what's going to happen is I'm going to do two of those shows per month, like always, but one of those shows will be available for patrons who, who put a dollar in every month for the show. And then the, the, the other show is going to be for the $5 patrons, if that makes sense. So if, you're, if you've signed up for a dollar, you'll hear one of the patrons-only shows. If you sign up for $5 a month, you'll get both patrons-only shows. So that's what I'm going to be doing moving forward. And, um, you know... Start Me Up as an independent podcast, and it's woman-run. So I And I don't use corporate anything. There's no corporate. There's no advertisers. It's just me, and you, the patrons, keep the show going. So um, if you enjoy today's show, if you enjoy this conversation, take a look at the About page and just look at some of my past guests. I've had some great people just last week. I spoke with Kathy Griffin. I'm going to be talking to Frangela. Uh, I've talked to Vincent D'Onofrio and Alyssa Milano and Kirk Acevedo and Kirsten Warren and Kristen Johnston. Sometimes I interview actors and we just talk about the craft. Sometimes I interview actors and we talk about both politics and and their craft. Um, I used to be an actor, so I really love talk. I mean, I interviewed Holland Taylor about her whole life and her craft. And I just loved that interview. So, and it, I mean, it, of course, politics came into it. She played Anne Richards on, she's a one woman show on Broadway. And that was phenomenal. I love that woman. So of course there were politics that came into it, but I, but I love asking actors questions because I was one and I, I kind of understand that world anyway. So just go and check out some of the past uh, guests and you can sign up for any dollar amount. Like for instance, if you sign up for $2 a month, every show gets delivered into your email box, except it's going to stop at the $5 tier. So if you sign up for $5 tier at that point, you'll get everything, but don't let that $5 tier 
be your limit. If you want to sign up for $10 or $25 a month, do that too. Whatever you feel is uh, appropriate and what, whatever you feel like doing, because basically you're helping me produce the show when you do that. And I always appreciate it. Um, you just visit patreon.com slash start me up and it, you'll be good to go. You'll see everything. It'll be all explained right there in front of you. You can also make a one-time donation if that's your thing. Um, in every description of the show uh, on that particular page, I include my email address and that's my PayPal information. Every once in a while, someone likes to do that. I, al I always appreciate that too. And last but not least, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just to make sure you, you, you stop by the Apple Podcast, whether it's iTunes, if you get there through iTunes, but go to Apple Podcasts and sign up as a, a subscriber. That's free. And then rate the show. People have been rating it. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And if you have a moment, please, if you like the show, give a good review because those good reviews always help those, you know, those mysterious computer algorithms that I'll never fully understand. But I just know the more attention that a show gets on Apple Podcasts, the more it's going to lift the show up and more people will be aware of it. So um, that's going to be that for now. Please enjoy my conversation with Glenn Kirshner. Welcome back, Glenn. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Appreciate you having me back. It's been a while, and the last time I remember the last time you were here, we um, Steph was with us, and it was unfortunate because I was trying to navigate this new system where I could call you on the phone, but I had her, I think, on Skype, and there was this like mix-up where you didn't hear each other and you were talking. It was like, oh no! So basically, um, I, I try to avoid more than one person on my show so we don't have that problem again. And uh, Stephanie still is doing like two shows, at least two shows per month, but she's running for city council in Oakland. So I yeah, so she's she's quite the busy one. So. Um, Shows changed a little bit, but I still, you know, ask the same kind of questions. And I'm really happy to have you here because you um, have a tendency to make everyone feel better. And mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm, of course, every time we talk, I'm scared shitless. But the last time we talked, we weren't going through a global pandemic and we weren't having these marches. So before we get into the marches um, and the protests, I should say, um, I would just want to ask how you're doing, how you're dealing with COVID and all, how is that all going for you? Well, thanks for asking. We're doing fine. You know, we are sheltered in place. We're trying to follow all of the guidelines. We're right outside of DC. So, um, you know, the Virginia governor has set some guidelines about wearing masks and social distancing, all of which we're trying to do. Um, several of my five daughters are in the area. They're trying to behave themselves as well and working <laughs> from home. And my, uh, my one, now just turned 17 year old son is here and he is also following the rules so Good. thus far you know we're, he we're healthy we're coronavirus free yeah. and um you know and so so far so good how are you doing oh i'm okay i mean i you know i, I i've been having a bit of a difficult time lately just because and i've said this on the show before my mom lives alone and you know that's and she's 73 and it's just it's killing me because i i moved to this area i moved to the um, DC area because she did in 2017 and I was living in California, but you know, I mean, I'm her only child and she's not married. So, um, you know, I wanted to be near her and I mean, she's, and, and unfortunately, um, she wanted to have a hip replacement and right before the, um, 
COVID broke out, you know, she was talking to her doctor about that. And now she's just got to wait indefinitely. So she's alone at home with pain. And so that totally stresses me out, you know, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to set it up where I go over and visit with her, uh, you know, social distancing out on the patio and limited exposure. But I was like, I told her this morning, I'm like, I wish that like, we, we could just like put sheets or something over us and hug. Cause I like, I know she needs a hug. I have, I live with Bob Seska and you know, we're together. And so we have each other, but she doesn't have anyone. And so it's like, this is really tough. And, um, I noticed though that you were out marching and I just wanted to ask you, you see, I don't remember what you said, but you said it feels like justice. I think that's what you yeah. said. So yeah. what, what was that mood? What was the mood? So thinking back, over my life, I, I, I don't know that I've ever participated in a protest. You know, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, as a federal prosecutor for 30 years, first as an Army JAG starting in the 80s, and then as a federal prosecutor in the, the Washington, D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office for nearly a quarter of a century, mm-hmm. I wasn't a big protest guy. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a big, yeah, you know what, I follow the rules, law and order, um, and I don't think I'd ever participated in a protest before. And yet this was one that there was no way in hell mm-hmm. I was going to, to miss because, you know, my 30 years as a prosecutor was devoted to fighting for justice. What mm-hmm. that typically looked like was fighting for victims of crime, mm-hmm. fighting for the families who had lost a loved one courtesy of violent crime. Mm-hmm. So handling murder cases and, you know, there is nothing more um, – more rewarding than helping a family that has lost a son or a daughter or a partner or a sibling or mm-hmm. a spouse or a parent to violent crime. And then that that unexpected loss tears a family apart. And then they're injected into this insane Byzantine world of police investigations and prosecutions and court proceedings. And, you know, their head, their heads are spinning, their family's spinning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, getting to help them through that process is about as gratifying as anything I ever got to do in my life. But, you know, prosecutors aren't known to be big protesters, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going out and protesting the government outrage du jour. Um, But, you know, and I have been saying all along since those four police officers murdered George Floyd, Mm -hmm. that most of the police officers I dealt with over my 30-year career were good public servants who took their responsibility to protect and serve the community really seriously, and they mm-hmm. acted accordingly. But, you know, I was involved in prosecuting some bad officers myself over mm-hmm. the years, and it's the bad officers that infect everything. Yeah. You know, I, I, used the, I used the analogy the other day, you know, bad officers are not just a few bad apples in an otherwise bushel of good apples that you can pick out and throw away Mm -hmm. bad officers are more like a drop of poison in a in a pot of chili yeah nobody is going to want to eat that chili nobody is going to have confidence in policing Mm -hmm. when you have a handful of abusive officers and we may have more than a handful yeah so when i saw what happened to george george floyd it just it reinforced everything that I feel like I devoted my life to, which is justice for everybody, particularly the most vulnerable among us. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to policing, the most vulnerable among us are our African-American brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I'm getting wound up just thinking right, back yeah. to being in that crowd the other day. Wow. You know, it was a sea of people. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, we were right outside the White House standing on what is now the big, beautiful Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter Plaza. Thank mm -hmm. you, <laughs> Mayor Mariel Bowser. God yes. bless her. Yeah. And, you know, it was a peaceful protest. It was a determined protest. I mean, we were yelling, we were chanting, we were demanding justice, we were demanding equality. There was, there were celebrations, there's singing, there's dancing, but, you know, it was deadly yeah. serious. Yeah. And it was inspirational, it was energizing, it was beautiful, it was all those, those good things. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that we seem to have moved past the stage where there is looting and yeah. burning and violence um, that that often erupts in the aftermath of an extreme mm -hmm. injustice. Yes. And, you know, um, I don't want to speak for the African-American population and what they have had to contend with from day one in this country mm -hmm. up to and including what happened to George Floyd. Yeah. But we understand why oppressed people explode yes explode Absolutely. in anger and that results in looting and that results in people who haven't been given a fair shake haven't been given a fair opportunity and sometimes they're like you know what if this is how society is going to treat me and devalue me f it all I'll, yeah. I'll get into that target and i'll get me a little something okay yeah. That, yes, we don't encourage looting. We don't endorse looting. But if you can't understand it as part of the human right, condition exactly. that we have subjected people to, well, then, you know, you, you don't have much humanity inside you. So um, I don't – I've strayed far from your original question, which was how was the protest? It, <laughs> it's was, okay. it was glorious. It was glorious. And, you know, I am anxious to get back down there and continue to have our voices heard. You know, I want to, I mean, first I just want to say I totally get it. I mean, this this was a conversation that I had with some family members back when I was a teenager who were racist. And um, I, you know, understood at that young age, um, even though I was white and privileged and all of that, that, um, you know, that black people are are oppressed and they're discriminated against and they're constantly being treated differently and dealing with, you know, I mean, at the time I wasn't focusing on back in the eighties, I wasn't focusing on what the police were doing, but I, but I understood that, you know, if, if there was a job interview and there was a white person and a black person, especially, um, you know, in a, in a highly, like when there's a population of a lot of black people and a lot of white people and there's discrimination, um, against black people from the white people it's because of you know you have a white person who's qualified and a black person who's qualified and a lot of the times the white people are going to hire the white people and and it just continued and like it's you know I would talk to my family member about this who did not want to hear me but I wouldn't let it go because it was like come on man and part of the reason uh the he he was beaten up by when he was a teenager I guess by uh, some black friends that he had and he felt really betrayed and I kept saying well what if it were white friends mm -hmm. that beat you up would you hate all white people and I was like he didn't mm -hmm. want to hear that either but um, anyway I just kind of wanted to throw that in there but I, I want to ask because there's this debate right now and you know I, 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 I do understand both sides of it but I want to know what you think because obviously there's a call to defund the police 
<laughs> and defund the police has, you know, there's a Washington Post article, plus I know John Oliver, which I haven't seen the whole thing, but John Oliver talked about it. Part of it is that um, we put too much pressure on the police to solve problems they shouldn't have to solve. They shouldn't have to worry about the mental health issue or, you know, they, they've, been, they've been called to do things that really shouldn't have to be um, the responsibility of police. And so it says, like, we call police to roused homeless people from corners and doorsteps and resolved verbal squabbles. I mean, I even remember going to jury duty back when I was in my early 20s, and the case was this couple. It was a married couple who had a terrible argument and somehow winded up in court. And it was just, it was like, oh my God, it was just they were having an argument. Anyway, mm -hmm. so there's this whole defund the police and, and the idea, like the, uh, the Washington Post article is titled Defund the Police... Here's what that really means. And then that, and I encourage everyone to read it. So I've been on the side of when you say defund the police to people who are um, swing voters or independents who have not yet decided how to vote or are so short sighted that they'll allow um, a slogan like this that they don't fully understand to, to decide which way they're going to go. And this kind of goes back to the Medicare for All thing where, I mean, I know some Democrats who fear that they, mm -hmm. they were so I kept I kept saying as a friend of mine I was like it's not, first of all I'm for Medicare for all but I don't think it's going to happen immediately and they just didn't want to hear it they were just afraid of it and um, so I mean I'm just I'm curious like what's the best way to address this issue because it's so I don't I don't want to be the white person who's arguing about slogans because when I do I'm called privileged and it has nothing I, I agree with the entire sentiment behind it but mm -hmm. I feel like we might we when we want to win elections against Republicans who cheat and twist they're going to twist whatever we say but sure. we make it easier for them that was my point was that you know we make it easier when we say defund the police because then people who are not really ensconced in the issue and don't understand things think it means that we won't have any law enforcement at all and they're going no I can't have that I'll vote for Donald so i mean <laughs> what wh what do you think about that and what should we do I, you know to me it sounds like a very silly catchphrase defund the police we all know that we need police officers to address violent crime, mm -hmm. property crime. If somebody commits a burglary in your home, we need the police. Mm -hmm. Arson, if somebody burns somebody else's property yes. business establishment, we need the police. 22 of my 30 years was in uh, handling murder cases in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Murder is the mother of all crimes, mm -hmm. um, not to downplay the seriousness of you know things like sexual offenses and offenses right. against children you know equally horrific mm -hmm. but of course we need the police so i guess first of all with respect to slogans and catchphrases people will i think um just allow them to reinforce their own views and beliefs mm -hmm. so if somebody's going to vote for donald trump the fact that's that there are now these cries or calls to defund the police that's just going to feed into their reasons otherwise right. i would say you know poor choices to yeah. vote for donald trump so but but I, I think it is and i haven't read the washington post article or watched the john oliver clip but i will do both after we're done talking um i i i think it's a foolish way 
to communicate that we need police reform mm -hmm. and we've needed it for a long time and it has now come to a head um, and I am thrilled that it has come to a head mm -hmm. as a result of what we have all seen those Minneapolis police officers do to George Floyd. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no such thing as defunding the police. What there is, is if you want to be more specific than just reform police practices, we can demilitarize yes. the police. And, we and should, I think yes. that is a more, if you have to use a catchphrase, mm -hmm. I'm not a politician, I never have been, but, uh, and I never will be, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, if you if you need a catchphrase, it should be demilitarized mm -hmm. police because the, the the police are not a military or paramilitary force mm -hmm. and they shouldn't be using tactics on the citizens yeah. that we might allow a soldier to use on the battlefield against the enemy. So we can demilitarize the police. And more importantly, we just have to reform our police practices. I've been, you know, talking about what you know, my sort of three reform points would be, and they're all imminently doable. Mm -hmm. I, I lived and worked with countless law enforcement agencies for 30 years. And I'm talking not just the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the men and women who work murder cases in D.C., but it was the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, the Park Police, the Capitol Police, the Secret Service Uniform Division, the Amtrak Police, the Postal Police, mm -hmm. the Metro Police, the Smithsonian Police, the <laughs> Military Police, and I could go on if I had more breath. <laughs> I worked with all of these police agencies, and like I say, most of them are good, but I have seen from the inside some of the things that I think need to be fixed. And it has now come to light in the whole series of excessive force killings of African-American mm -hmm. citizens. Here's one of the things we need to do is extreme vetting during the hiring yeah. practice. Because in this day of everybody's life being you know, on social media in one way or another, if you have hateful, racist, prejudiced, tendencies and you apply to be a police officer well then damn it we're gonna find out about them yeah before you ever get the right to put a badge on your chest and a gun on your hip and order me or any of my fellow citizens out of my car yeah. you're gonna be the right person for the job your heart's gonna be in the right place you're gonna protect and serve and you're gonna do it from a place of kindness and empathy and de-escalation and an appropriate use of force. And here's what's most important about extreme vetting during the hiring process. We now are at a place in time where the citizens have to be, the ones who are going to be policed, mm -hmm. the ones who are going to be ordered out of the car, ordered onto the ground, have handcuffs put on us. We have to be involved in the hiring process, yeah. full, fair and robust mm -hmm. citizen participation in the hiring of police officers. Think about this. We vote for our the people we want to send to Washington mm -hmm. to represent us. We vote for our governor. We vote for our mayor. We vote for our city council. These are people who are going to have some pretty consequential sway yeah. over our lives. They're going to enact the laws that we have to live by. Mm -hmm. They're going to either increase or decrease our taxes. They're going to decide how our tax dollars are spent. Yeah. These are these are some consequential decisions being made over our lives that mm -hmm. affect our 
day-to-day lives. But think about it even more directly. The police are, affect our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Because when I'm driving five miles miles over the speed limit, or maybe ten, or maybe you know twenty-eight, <laughs> as I am want to do, um, and I see those red lights come on yeah. behind me, I'm like, oh, shh. First yeah. of all, I say, damn, I wish I was still a prosecutor. But um, <laughs> no, 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 that would be wrong. You can't use your position to influence law enforcement. Hey, I use yeah. I've I've used my blonde hair and eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my bald head doesn't get me very far. So, um, but, but here's the thing, they have a more direct impact on our day-to-day lives. Why shouldn't we have, we, the people have a say over the vetting and hiring of police officers that can be formalized easily in a diverse group Mm -hmm. of citizens who come together as, you know, part of a hiring committee that gets to participate in the hiring of police officers. This is a no brainer that will begin to build a social contract between the citizens, those being policed and the people who want to do the policing. And, you know, I I think that's doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things, and and I didn't watch the whole segment, which I will also finish when we, when we're finished with the uh, interview, the John Oliver was saying, you know, that, the the police force in this country is kind of born out of uh, wanting to go after slaves who tried to run away. And Mm -hmm. so there's all this white supremacy tied in. And obviously, you know, I was talking with my father last night about this, and he said, you know, I'm taking a look at the protests, and I mean, they're happening all over the world. I know that there's protests in Berlin and France and the UK, Mm -hmm. and so, and they're standing in in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. But I think Um, While that may be the main drive, I think there's also this anti-Trump sentiment because, Mm -hmm. you know, he obviously said um, that there were very fine people on both sides and he never condemns. I mean, some of that looting that we saw was from white supremacists who are outside agitators. And, uh, you know, he likes to go after what he calls Antifa. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But, you know, I mean, Kathy Griffin was on the show last Monday and she's like, who's the who's the leader of Antifa? Do they have meetings? Where are they meeting? I mean, like, this is bogus. This is just bullshit. And there might be some people who want to identify as Antifa, but they're not this organized group. Like, there there are organized white supremacists who have been found out, you know, where, uh, I mean, I guess Zuckerberg was even pressured about the fact that there are a bunch of these people organizing on Facebook. And so um, that's one of the big issues you know, I, I've told the story before that during the Rodney King riots, I was in Glendale, California, which I was in the nice, really nice part of Glendale, which, which Glendale is a pretty middle class kind of town. And then there's like the upper, you know, up, every time you go up in the hills, whenever you're in Los Angeles or, or, or Southern California, the higher up in the hills you go, the more money there is. So my, I had a friend who lived up in the hills and that particular night, the riots were going on and I, I wasn't aware. And so I was driving home and this white police officer followed me. And I, of course, initially I was afraid, but he followed me until I got home. And then I found out that there were pro, you know, that there were riots and I thought, oh, wow, he was protecting me. But when I look back on it now, I don't feel good about that because I feel yeah. like if I were a black woman, would he have followed me home? I mean, I benefited from my white privilege there. And maybe this was a good cop who would have followed anyone home. But um, Glendale had a history, uh, (laughs) kind of a bit of a racist history. They tried to make it an uh, English-only community at some point, and they failed. And, um, you know, they they definitely had their, I mean, at least when I was living there, had their issues. Uh, It it wasn't, it's a little more diverse now. 
but still it's like you know i ben- i also benefited from i was driving in beverly hills and like breaking every freaking law no stopping at stop signs. I was in a residential neighborhood and I was speeding and kids were around and some cop pulls me over and he's good looking and I'm good looking and I'm batting my eyelashes and, you know, hoping to get out of a ticket because I'm on my way to work. And he told me, oh, well, you know what? It's my birthday. So I'm going to give you a present. And it's like, I got, again, I go back to my privilege and okay, it might be pretty lady privilege, but it was white woman privilege. And yeah. I feel like what if this were a black woman or Hispanic woman who, uh, you know, had the same, same, broke the same laws, would they have gotten out of it? If it was a man, forget it. Yeah. Um, and, so and, you know, when you, when you talk about the, um, the administration, both Trump and Barr, trying to demonize mm-hmm. Antifa and excuse the alt-right yes. you know, extreme hate groups, it's so much worse than just sort of selectively deciding, you know, who the bad guy is yeah. and who should be given a pass when it comes to the violence that is part of, of the protests. You know, I, and I called this out the other day um, when I first heard Governor Tim Walls of Minnesota and his public safety commissioner, uh, John Harrington. They're on TV in the days after um, the murder of George Floyd. And they're saying, among other things, when the protests were erupting and there was a good bit of violence initially and looting and burning, they said, listen, among other things, we have been monitoring the social media platforms to see mm-hmm. what people are saying about um, the protests. Mm-hmm. And we are monitoring a number of white supremacist platforms and we're seeing them say things like, let's get to Minnesota hmm. and get our get our loot on. Now I'm uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was right. basically a call right. to the to the white supremacist groups to come to Minnesota and take advantage of the protests yep. to you know, it's a win win for the white supremacist yeah. groups because they get to they get to loot. They get to burn minority communities and they get to make those minority communities look bad in the process. Mm -hmm. Right. So for the white supremacist group, it's win, win, win. Mm -hmm. So now a few days pass and we hear what I thought was kind of a dramatic announcement that there will be a, a press conference at noon and it will include the attorney general, Bill Barr, the head of the FBI, the head of the DEA, the head of the ATF, the head of Homeland Security. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, um, you know, is and I'm a law enforcement guy. I'm thinking either this is going to be really good or really bad. The really bad is I fear they're going to announce one giant goose step in favor of depriving the citizens of even more of our rights. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're going to say something good about the, the sort of collective federal law enforcement effort. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching Bill Barr step to the camera. And he says, among other things, that, you know, these violent protests that are being, you know, put together by Antifa and similar extreme left wing wow. groups, blah, 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 blah. It. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just heard public officials Mm -hmm. with their feet on the ground at the epicenter of the protests, Minneapolis, Minnesota, saying they're monitoring social media platforms where the white supremacist groups Mm -hmm. are coming to burn down communities. And Bill Barr Mm -hmm. just told the American people it is exclusively Mm -hmm. Antifa and left-wing extremist groups, but it gets so much better because Pierre Thomas, God bless him, I think Mm -hmm. ABC News reporter, the second question that was asked was, uh, to Mr. Attorney General, 
is it fair that you just said Antifa is the only group responsible when the Department of Justice just yesterday indicted members of the Boogaloo Boys for participating in for, for perpetrating violence during otherwise peaceful protests and having Molotov cocktails yeah. seized from them. Wow. And Bill Barr was like caught flat footed like the great <laughs> big liar that he is. Yeah. And he didn't really have well 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 well, well, well I said <laughs> extremist group. Yeah. But you only said extremist left-wing right. groups. You didn't say right-wing. You didn't say alt-right. You didn't say Boogaloo Boys, mm-hmm. who your organization just indicted yesterday. Wow. You didn't even say, you know what? There's only one letter, K. And you just got to say it three times <laughs> to, yeah. to put it on some of the other groups who right. deserve condemnation. But yep. Bill Barr wouldn't do it because he is lying. Mm -hmm. He's spitting out propaganda. He's giving the American people disinformation. This is 1984, and they're not all that subtle about it. They're Mm -hmm. stepping to the cameras every damn day and saying, good news, Americans, we're increasing your chocolate rations Mm -hmm. while they're cutting our chocolate rations. That's what they are doing. Well, you tweeted out, Attorney General Bill Barr is the enemy of the people. Plain and simple. And, you know, I mean, I know that you were hopeful at one point that he was going to do the right thing. And unfortunately, he did not. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's 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 frightening to me because he wants to he wants to. Um, well, I mean, he, I don't even really know what he wants. I mean, do you think, well, I that think he, what he wants? He wants a theocracy. Yeah. He wants everybody to worship his God the way he worships the, the, and in the time he worships and at the church he worships. Mm-hmm. That's what one thing he wants. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I believe he wants is this all-powerful, unitary executive unitary, president exactly. is king mm-hmm. view of our federal government, mm-hmm. which is antithetical mm-hmm. to the way our government is supposed to run. That's his goal. Now, and you're absolutely right, Kimberly. I have apologized on air so many times. But you were hopeful. For mistakenly thinking Bill Barr would be better than Matthew Whitaker, who was the petty criminal who was the acting attorney general at the time. And I think my my hope, I think, overtook my common sense. And the other thing is because uh, Bob Mueller was my chief of homicide, my direct supervisor, and that's who I learned how to be a federal homicide prosecutor from. And because I knew Bob had reportedly had a good, strong relationship Mm -hmm. with Barr, I thought, okay. Bob can't possibly get this man wrong. Mm-hmm. So this man is going to be better than Matthew Whitaker in the role of attorney general. And I was dead wrong. Well, about I don't think you had anything to apologize for. I think it's like you said, you were going off of what you knew and and what you had hoped and based on what you understood from Bob Mueller. And unfortunately, Bill Barr just turned out to be an enemy of the people. I mean, yeah. you know, you just you didn't have that information yet. And so you were going based on what your hunches were. And unfortunately, uh, he turned out to be the villain. And um, so, again, I, I don't think you owe anybody an apology. I mean, I thought Hillary was going to win the election. A lot of us yeah. did. <laughs> we were As wrong. And you know what? In this day and age, I just want to say that th- nobody can really predict anything. You know, we cannot look. In some instances, we can go back to history and point to something and say, oh, this happened. But, but for the most part, under this administration, we can't because he is – He's breaking all the tra- traditions and norms. He's he's behaving like a dictator, and he's talking to Putin all the time now. S- yeah. Since I mean, I know he was talking to Putin. 
prior to COVID, but since COVID started and since these pro, you know, I know he had a conversation with Putin last week. And so um, I feel like there's no way we can take a look at anything that's ever gone down before and compare it to what's happening now. It's just impossible. And so Bill Barr just ordered apparently the gassing and flash bang grenading of peaceful protesters Mm -hmm. who are exercising their First Amendment rights to assemble and petition the government for a redress of their grievances. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, you know, that's that's some Nazi stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and I am I was thrilled to see Representative David Cicilline's demand, I think just today or maybe yesterday, a special prosecutor be appointed to investigate Bill Barr's blatant, blatant violation of the Constitution. He assaulted those people who were exercising their constitutionally protected yeah. right. You know, you can't charge somebody with violating the First Amendment. There's no such thing. I can't, as a prosecutor, bring a charge against Bill Barr for violating the First Amendment. The First Amendment is a prohibition saying the government shall not. You shall not infringe mm-hmm. somebody's First Amendment right to speech, to assemble, to practice their religion or no religion at all. And Bill Barr, just as sure as we're talking, violated their First Amendment rights. Yeah. But you know what he did do? He assaulted those people. Mm-hmm. That's a criminal assault when you have somebody in a public space exercising a constitutionally protected right and Bill Barr says gas them and flashbang grenade them so the president and his posse can walk across the street for a photo op in front of a church that he never attended, holding up a book he never read, so he could turn it into a campaign video 30 minutes later. That's criminal. Yeah. Those are human rights violations. Those are crimes against the American people. It also happens to be a criminal assault. And I'm glad that there's been a call for a special prosecutor under Bill Barr. It's the last thing in the world that's going to happen because he protects himself and he protects the president at all costs. But, you know, this this all must be taken care of beginning in January with mm-hmm. something that I've been calling the Trump crimes commission because you can't turn the other cheek you can't let bygones be bygones and you can't put this long national nightmare behind us and heal unless you hold today's political criminals accountable tomorrow i absolutely agree now that brings me to biden so okay i just i just did a, a tweet this morning that's gone viral basically saying yeah, Hillary Clinton, Biden's leading in the polls right now. And I know he's doing really well compared to what Hillary was doing at this time. But, um, you know, we can't, what we cannot take into account is cheating. So just pretend Trump is in the lead and, you know, and, and vote that way. Um, but, you know, there's fear. I mean, there's the fear of how they're going to do something. We all know that I mean the way that I look at this is okay first first came COVID not that that was the first thing to come along but COVID comes along and it becomes political and it's awful and you know it's changed the way we live and then in the midst of this we have this enormous uprising of protesters and you know everything just came to a head and as far as you know, black people being murdered by by white people and white police officers who are able to walk free, and so it's like the everything has just come together. In the, and I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see in the next five months. It's like mm-hmm. it's not going to get any better. And I want I want to ask you specifically. First of all, let's just say, for the sake of argument. Um, because I have a theory, so I'll ask you about my theory. So Biden wins. If Biden wins by um, an okay margin, not an overwhelming blue flood, but an okay margin, 
uh, my fear is that he's going to take it to the Supreme Court. And um, we all know what happened when George Bush went to the Supreme Court. I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I think that the deciding person at this point would be John Roberts. And I, I, I don't know if I could trust him on this. I mean, but, I, but I'm, I'm worried about this election because how do we, and I want to know what you think about the Supreme Court thing because Michael Cohen did tell us there will not be a smooth transition of power, which I don't think anybody doubted in the first place. But um, how, how confident are you that we're going to have a, a blue flood as opposed to even a blue tsunami? I mean, it's just like we need to flood. And then if we don't, um, he might be able to take that for make it a win for him. You know, I, first of all, I, you know, I should have learned my lesson when it came to predicting how things will turn out <laughs> with, the Bill Barr, with the Bill Barr incident. But notwithstanding that, um, I think there's going to be a blue tsunami. And okay. I point to a few things okay. to support that. First of all, the 2018 mm-hmm. midterm elections where yes, the, I the Democrats that picked up 41 seats. Yeah. I mean, that was a blue flood. Trump, Trump has... I don't believe attracted a single solitary person to his base in the past couple of years. He might've done it early on with tax cuts and deregulation, Mm -hmm. but I think since then he has been alienating even people who love their tax cuts and Mm -hmm. love their deregulation and are willing to swallow his extreme racism and xenophobia and sexism and everything else. Mm -hmm. I I think he is losing those people over time. And I think it's a fairly steady stream of people who are leaving the Trump base. So I I think, and look at, he's down what, 12 or 14 Mm -hmm. points in Michigan, for God's sakes, as of today. I think there will be such an enormous blue tsunami that this is not going to go to the Supreme Court. That's okay. a different question from whether he will vacate the White House. Uh, right. Yeah. And, but but here but you know you bring up a great point. What if it is close and what if it's mm-hmm. like a Bush v. Gore and what if, if it does end up in the Supreme Court? Here's what breaks my heart as a guy who spent 30 years in courtrooms prosecuting cases. I was never one to be a bureaucrat. So on the very few occasions people maybe invited me to consider going to the main Department of Justice to be a bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. Not that that's where, not that there are exclusively bureaucrats there, but it is kind of the land of the bureaucrat, mm-hmm. as opposed to the 94 U.S. Attorney's offices, the field offices where the prosecution gets done. That's kind of like comparing the Pentagon to the troops in the field. I always wanted to be in the field. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be in the courtroom doing the hard work of justice, not doing working on policy back at the you know Department of Justice main headquarters. So. Um, and I forgot why I even went down that, that road. <laughs> but I'll talking. You were talking about – I know you were talking about predictions. Um, yeah, and the, the, the blue wave and – man, it's tough getting old, isn't I, it? Well, I'm right there uh, with the, you. The, the train the train of thought gets <laughs> off track occasionally. Well, and um, you but, were talking about But going about back to Trump, yeah, I'm confident. That, I know. You were oh, – I know. The, the Bush v. The Bush yes. Gore thing. If it, so this is where why I was going there. Thank you for getting me back on track. My heart breaks for the judiciary. I, I, the judiciary yeah. remains strong notwithstanding all of mm-hmm. the unqualified, literally mm-hmm. and rated unqualified judges that Mitch McConnell has crammed down the throats of the American people mm-hmm. in these Mickey Mouse confirmation hearings. Yeah. Um, the, 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 I never, in my 30 years as a prosecutor, not once, asked myself or asked anybody else the question, hey, this judge that I'm appearing before, was he or yeah. she appointed by a Republican president right. or a Democrat? Right. I never, I never cared. It never made a... a 
whit of difference. Now, yeah. some judges are pro de- more pro-defense than they are pro-prosecution. Some are more pro-prosecution. Mm-hmm. Some are right down the middle. But these are things that we live with because mm-hmm. judges are human beings, mm-hmm. and they're going to have some natural tendencies. They're going to lean right. one way or the other. They shouldn't, but they do. It's life. Now it's all about, well, who appointed this judge that is going to handle Trump's tax case mm-hmm. or that's going to handle the enforceability of a congressional subpoena for an administration official that they need to testify so they can perform oversight yeah. of this runaway corrupt criminal, you know, Trump administration. It, it, it really, even the judiciary has become so, so infected with politics. Yeah. And I think that holds true up to the Supreme Court. I, I still have some confidence that Roberts will do the right thing. He has sided with the liberal, you know, yeah, mo- minority a couple of times yeah. recently, all, although there have been far too many five-four opinions, yeah. which I think erodes the credibility of the court. Right. So I, I will say, and here is is a prediction um, that I hope I'm wrong about. If it's you know a neck and neck election, mm-hmm. I don't think it will be, and it ends up in the. Supreme Court, I think it's a coin toss Mm -hmm. whether Roberts has the kind of Mm -hmm. integrity to kind of hold a center coalition to do what's right, most importantly by the evidence and the and the law in the case and by extension, what's right by the American people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what I think. I think it's kind of like a coin toss, which is a, freaks me out because I feel like, oh, my God, how could he not? And, I, you know, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people out there who are afraid of Donald Trump. You know, I don't know if John Roberts is one of them, but there are a lot of Republicans out there who maybe don't like him, but they fear him. And so they vote along Line, the, along the lines with what the Republicans want or what Trump wants, but in this particular case, they would have the he would at least Roberts would have the power to say no and take away his power, because yeah. once Trump is out, he's out, and he will you know I don't know exactly what would happen to him. Um, there's a lot of people, and I wanted to ask you about that too about the idea of um, what happens. I like. He can't get pardoned if he loses. Mm-hmm. There, there's the theory, and I don't know if this would happen, but there is a theory that he w- he could say, all right, he loses, and then he could step down and have um, Pence pardon him for everything. Yeah, and I, 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 um, I've been sort of doing deep dives into pardons. The problem with the law surrounding the pardon power is there is none. The pardon power has always been viewed as sort of absolute. A mm-hmm. president can issue pardons to whomever he wants mm-hmm. for any reason he wants. But that's different from saying you can actually exercise the pardon power in a corrupt way. So right. if if Trump set up a kiosk, you know, at the front door of the White House and anybody could pay him a million dollars to give their loved one a pardon, Mm -hmm. their loved one who was convicted of a federal crime. There's not a court in this country that would say, well, you know, the presidential pardon power is so broad. Mm -hmm. We are going to, as as the judiciary, as a separate equal branch of government, say that it's okay to Mm -hmm. do that. 
they would they would vitiate that. They would rule it to be unlawful. Now, these things have never been tested, mm-hmm. so there is no precedent. But the way we create precedent as mm-hmm. attorneys, and I was an appellate attorney for the government for years as well, is you have to try something for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's how you create precedent. If you never take any novel legal theory to mm-hmm. court, you will never create precedent. And we would have no precedential case law. So when people are like, oh my God, there's no precedent to do it. You know what? As a prosecutor, I did things that had no precedent. Sometimes I won, sometimes I lost. Sometimes when I won, it made its way up to the um, appellate court Mm -hmm. and the appellate court sided with my theory of liability and we created precedent. And that was true for something called the urban warfare gun battle theory of homicide liability in Washington, D.C. We did it for the first time it created precedent. And now that is a tool in the you know toolbox of prosecutors in Washington, D.C. So I, I do I agree with you. He's do two things after he loses the election. One, he's going to pardon himself. People are like, can he do that? The answer is, I don't know, but yeah. he will do it. Right. What he has to do right. is ask his minions to draft up a one-page letter that says, I, Donald J. Trump, yes. hereby pardon Donald J. Trump, and he signs it. He's pardoned himself. Now, that will have to be tested in the courts, and I can talk about how we can test that in the courts in a minute. But the second thing I think he will do, it's kind of like wearing a belt and suspenders. He will probably, <laughs> as you say, step down mm-hmm. a week shy of the end of his term and let Pence pardon him if Pence is foolish enough yeah. to write his own political obituary yeah. by pardoning <laughs> Donald Trump. Right. Um, but he might try to strike some kind of a deal there, too. Like, look, I'll lie. I'll lie about you when uh-huh. when the feds come asking me yeah. about what you knew right. about my attempt to bribe Zelensky into providing false dirt on Joe Biden. Uh, I got you if you'll just pardon me. So let's assume both of those things happen. Mm-hmm. Self-pardon. And he steps down and Pence pardons him. Then you've got two legal issues to contend with. Are is the court, is the judiciary willing to endorse and put its stamp of approval on those two corrupt pardons? There are two different kinds Mm -hmm. of corruption. One is a self-pardon, which I don't think any court would say you can do because then you can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and pardon yourself for it. That no court is gonna say that's good to go. Mm -hmm. I also think a corrupt pardon that a president gives to somebody else. Let's assume Trump pardoned Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. Roger Stone, I was in the courtroom for his trial. Yes, you and Molly Jong and Fast. Former colleagues. What's that? <laughs> you and Molly Jong Fast. Yes, yes, yes. And some of my friends were the prosecutors in the case, guys that I'd worked murder cases with in, in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Mm. And if the, the, the testimony of Steve Bannon, which I can quote verbatim, mm-hmm. is that Roger Stone was the Trump campaign's access point to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks Mm -hmm. for the stolen Russian emails, the emails stolen by Russia. That, in my view, makes Donald Trump and Roger Stone connected as potential co-conspirators. I do not think the judiciary would put its stamp of approval on a president corruptly pardoning a co-conspirator. He can try to do it, but it has to be fought in court beginning in January because we need to sort some of this stuff out so it never happens again. Again, So I think both of those kinds of corrupt pardons, a a corrupt Mm self-pardon or a corrupt pardon of a co-conspirator will be voided by the judiciary. And I look forward 
to the time that we're in court fighting these battles. And you also answered a question of mine on Twitter, which was, can, like, let's say Pence, Pence can, um, or anybody, could pardon you even if charges haven't been brought up against you, correct? Yeah, yeah, the prospective pardon or the prophylactic pardon. That's what Gerald Ford did to Nixon. Nixon was never charged with any crime. Right, right, right. Instead, Gerald Ford said, listen, I'm going to give you a pardon so you can never be charged with any crime for anything you did, which which was really the start of our long national nightmare that gave us Donald Trump. It wasn't the end of our long national nightmare. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. And so now... Um, what I also, I I kind of, I'm curious to know, um, and you may not feel comfortable talking about it. If not, that's cool. But do you have a preference? Okay. And if it's not a preference, do you have a uh, prediction that is not based in emotion on who the VP pick might be? Um, I, first of all, I know Joe Biden has already said it's a woman and I am frankly thrilled. Yeah. I always want the best person for the job. Right. But sometimes the best person for the job is amongst a category of people. And I think mm-hmm. a woman should be vice president, period. Yeah. I was hoping a woman might be the nominee yeah. for president because I've always said, you know, I can turn to my son and say, you too can be president of the United States. And I think it resonates with him. Mm-hmm. I think he actually believes it. Right. I turn to my daughters and say, you know, y'all can be president of the United States. They're like, yeah, show me one exact example where yeah. that's been done before. Mm-hmm. So I I hope it's a woman. I think it will be because Joe Biden has said it will be. Yeah. I also hope it's a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I know that lots of people reportedly are being vetted by mm-hmm. the Biden campaign right now. I will say, you know, I, I like Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. I like Val Demings. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the idea that Val Demings, a former police chief yeah. who is fierce, who is just when when she talks, it's just straightforward and you believe her yeah. and you trust her mm-hmm. and she rides a Harley. And, you know, I mean, there are. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I think for this moment in time, given what we are contending with, with this sort of sea change in policing that's coming uh, and, and a real willingness at this moment in time for our country to wrestle, wrestle with the racial disparities mm-hmm. that have manifested themselves in policing that disproportionately victimizes our African-American brothers and sisters. There's nothing not to like about a Val Deming mm-hmm. selection right now. Right. You know, here, here I'm going to play the fear, the person who's filled with fear. Um, and, you know, because I had a, a friend and I were conversing about this yesterday and just the VP pick. And, you know, I have a fear of a woman. I mean, he, he already promised it's going to be a woman. And I mean, I wanted a woman to be the nominee as well. I, I was I was for Elizabeth Warren. I was kind of in between Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris um, with Warren only being on top because of the kind of work that she's done. Um, but really either one of those women at, you know, while the primary was going on, it was like, okay, either one, I'll do the happy dance. Um, but uh, you know, I feel like in this very sexist, um, racist environment that we've got going on, I mean, not that racism and sexism are new, um, but Donald Trump has certainly turned the dial up, turned the heat up on all of it, bigotry, all of it. Um, 
like there's this fear like okay so he's gonna elect a one or he's gonna choose a woman and then that woman is probably gonna be running again in 2024 because he probably won't be he hasn't committed to running which which i take to mean that he's just gonna he even said he's the bridge to the next generation so Mm -hmm. i think he sees himself as you know i'm just gonna get us over that hump and then i'm gonna give you know pass the torch to younger people and they got to do what they got to do and so there's this fear that I have with a woman, like, are we going to be able to be strong enough as a nation to trust a woman, especially if somebody like Mitt Romney, who after Trump will appear like this great guy, which I don't think he is, but he's going, you know, anybody with who is can put a complete sentence together, anybody who understands government is going to seem like the most competent person on mm-hmm. the Republican side. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of people right now who are voting for Joe Biden who normally would not. You know, normally, whether it's an ever Trumper or even somebody who is a Democrat and is not excited about Joe Biden and maybe wouldn't have voted, but understand the threat that we're under. They're like, hell yeah, I'm voting for Biden no matter what. So is that VP going to have, if, if, if it's a woman and if it's a woman of color, is she going to have the support that she's going to need in 2024. And that's my fear. But I, when I talked to my friend, cause I said, you know, okay, if it's a woman of color, I believe that a woman of color should be leading this country. Um, but there are a lot of racists out there who, or, or not even just racists. There are people who have biases against women, Democrats who have biases against women. And I feel like there's this part of me that wonders if Joe Biden is going to even, you know, make it through the first four years. Not that, there would be anything terribly wrong with him but this woman who is going to be running in 2024 has to prove to everybody that she's not only capable but that she's stellar and that she's going to really do a great job and you know I mean I that's my fear I mean and so my friend said well you know before you let your fear take you over consider the fact that you know, we did not believe as a nation that we were going to have a black president in 2008. And then look what happened. So I do think she has a good point there. And because of, because of this uprising and because of this conversation that we're having now, perhaps uh, a woman of color would be the exact person that we need. But it's like, do I trust the American people to do that? I don't know if I trust them. That scares me. Yeah. Um, I I do think, uh, a woman of color, particularly one with a law enforcement background, yeah. um, and that's that's both Harris and right. Demings. Yes, um, and I, I didn't mean to give short shrift to Kamala Harris because I think she is a powerful mm-hmm. senator and a, a powerful person. And I saw her talking today um, about the new bill that's being introduced mm-hmm. uh, to reform policing, and I think she would also make an excellent VP choice. And yeah. You know, when we try to second guess ourselves, like, yeah. well, you know, but it's going to inspire racism, right. it's going to inspire sexism. We're making our decision. I mean, we're trying to make wise tactical decisions, right? Because mm-hmm. we want our country to be well led. Mm-hmm. But I think we're making decisions based on, you know, the the, the bad inclinations of others and trying exactly. to and that's factor fair. them into account yeah. when we're deciding who we think is a good candidate. I think either Demings or Harris or others, I don't mean to give others right. short shrift, would be good candidates. And, you know, I I think at this moment in time, because, you know, the, the, the protests that have erupted mm-hmm. make me so dang proud. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason I say that is because 
Donald Trump has put us through so much yeah. as a country and as a people. I mean, he has, you know, whether it was, you know, going back to one of his earliest sins in office, which was firing Comey yeah. because he wouldn't lay off Donald Trump's criminal associate, then inviting the Russians into the yeah. office, the Oval Office, to laugh about it right. and say, I fired the nut job. The pressure's off. Russia, you and I are now good again. You know, through his mocking of war heroes mm -hmm. and his mocking of disabled reporters and his mocking of child environmental activists and his, I mean, you think about it's it's abuse after abuse mm -hmm. after abuse. It's his trying to bribe President Zelensky to give him false dirt on Biden using congressionally appropriated right. funds that were designed to save Ukrainian lives. Right. He used that as leverage. When you think of the, you know, he says Maria Yovanovitch is going to go through some stuff. Oh my God. I'm going to put her through yeah. some stuff. And then while she's testifying before Congress, yeah, he tweeting. is breaking the law by tweeting out threats against a witness. That's a crime mm -hmm. right there. It's in the federal code. You think of all of the outrages. And then you think on top of it all of the COVID crisis and how yeah. he and his family are grifting off of that. None of it. None of those outrages drove us into the streets. Yes. None of right. it yeah. forced us to say we have had enough. What he has just done is egregious enough and offensive enough to our sensibilities that we're going into the streets. Mm -hmm. What drove us into the streets? George Floyd mm -hmm. drove us into the streets. Yeah. That's what drove us into the streets. That's why I'm so dang proud of this country that that is what – and I, I agree with you, Kimberly – it may be the aggregate of everything that's driven us out into the streets at this moment, but it really is the racial injustice that mm -hmm. we saw with our own eyes that has driven us into the streets and it's driven Germans yes. and it's driven folks in the UK. It's driven the world yeah. into the streets. And you know what? That is the most hopeful sign for humanity yeah. that I have seen in the past four years. So with this moment in time, I want to see an African-American woman as VP, and I hope that that African-American woman becomes president in four years, yeah. and I want that person to have a law enforcement background, yeah. and you know that's why I think a Harris or a Demings exactly fit the bill of what we need right now. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, and also, I mean, they're younger, which is good, because it's not to yeah. say, I mean, they're not young, young, but they, they are younger. It goes along with Biden saying, I'm passing the torch, and you know, the bridge to the younger generation, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And especially, I mean, if, let's say, Elizabeth Warren were, you know, maybe his first choice while he was vetting these protests and this uprising, this global uprising, um, I think is, you know, it, it, every, you know, any little thing, and this is not little, but anything can change the trajectory of a decision like this. And so, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I, and, I, and I do agree that fear of what other people might do shouldn't be in play. And, you know, there is this very cautious side of me that, you know, both of my parents make fun of me for it. And last night I was talking to my dad, and, um, you know, he, he was suggesting something like, maybe we can have a, a, a barbecue. I'm like, no, no, I will see you alone on your patio, six feet or more, and just you. I don't want to do the family thing. And he's like, yeah, you've always been cautious. And, you know, I mean, my mom used to jump out of airplanes. I would never do that. And so <laughs> it's like, there's this part of me. And, I, you know, I know that it's not necessarily the best way to live because you should not let fear um, rule 
what you do. And then also, like you said, the fear of what other people will do. But I do take heart in thinking that, you know, I, I, I can say with 100% certainty if people were asked on the street randomly in 2007, do you think America's ready for a black man president? I'm sure a lot of people would have said no. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if they felt that there should be a black man president, they would say America's not ready. And then here comes Barack Obama and yeah. blows everybody's mind and was a fantastic president. Even if you don't agree with everything he did, um, he was a good president and he's going to go down in history as a good, solid president, one of the best we've had. So I do take heart in thinking in terms of, you know, I also agree with you that either Kamala Harris or Val Demings would be a wonderful choice since they do have this um, you know, kind of background, law enforcement, police chief, whatever, uh, they understand it. And and they understand what it's like to be a person of color in this country and everything that's surrounded that. So it would be phenomenal. I mean, I just, I would love to see a black woman leading this country. It would just be amazing because black women are like, they have the most discrimination to face. They're the ones who, you know, face the most depression. And so it would just be so great because like I've done, you know, I, I'm going to wrap this up in a second, but I've written some articles on um, the fact that white men rape both women and children. I mean, I, I posted a couple of the articles um, over the weekend. Like, there was this one teenager who raped a one-year-old and got no prison time. There was some dude from, um, oh, God, I can't remember the name, but it was uh, some big, well, you know, wealthy company, DuPont or something like that, and, and he raped a five-year-old and got, you know minimal whatever the the smallest possible kind of you know i think he had like he was at home for five weeks or something like that house arrest or whatever it was and you know it's it's these white judges who are allowing these white criminals to go free and if we have a woman of color leading this nation i would certainly hope that it would you know i hate to use this word but trickle down to the courts you know where we have to have more diversity on the courts we have to have diverse judges and all of that because it's like we're not going to get rid of this white supremacy problem um with white people running everything yeah we need to have people of color and the way i show shorthand you know not being too concerned about how others will react it's like you know we we can't decline to do the right thing Mm -hmm. for fear of how the wrong people will react yeah you're exactly Um, right but but i think right now when reform of the way we police in America is obviously Mm -hmm. something that will now be on the front burner to be tackled over the course of the next year. Mm -hmm. How can a former chief of police who was an African-American woman and rides a Harley, how can that (laughs) not be a great choice? And not just because of the positions she's held, but just watch her communicate and yeah. the, the integrity and the honesty and the passion and the believability. It's like, that's what we, and she strikes me. This is going to, this is going to be insulting to politicians. <laughs> she doesn't strike me as a politician. Yeah. That is the highest praise right. I can give exactly. another human being. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, let's just end it on a positive note there. So um, I just, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for coming back. I know the last time you were on, I think the mood was a little sad. I don't even remember what we talked about, but whatever was going on, it was just, it it was making us all uncomfortable. And (laughs) I just felt like, you know, on top of the technological problems that we had, um, I felt bad. So this was such a good conversation and thank you. I really appreciate your input too on the vice president. I think it's, I think everything you 
you say is 100% accurate and I agree with you. And talking to you, like I said, talking to you makes me feel better. You have that way. I, so, I love our conversation. So I look forward to talking with you again. Oh, well, you'll definitely come back. So why don't you tell everybody where to find you? So um, mainly now on Twitter and YouTube. So I got so frustrated oh. in recent months because um, the, the cable news has pretty much shifted until recently to all COVID coverage all the time. Yes. So it went from legal analysts, you know, yeah. myself and my, my friends, uh, uh, Chuck Rosenberg and Barb McQuaid and Joyce Vanson company. And, yeah. and it, it, it sort of shifted to all doctors and nurses, which is as it should be. We're all consumed right. with how COVID is going to impact us in our lives. Um, so I started my own YouTube channel and I post a video a day, basically a Trump crime a day or a Trump awesome. abuse a day mm -hmm. or a Bill Barr crime a day. And you can just find me on YouTube under my name, Glenn Kirshner. And I would, it's all free all the time. Um, <laughs> and if you just subscribe to my YouTube channel and tune in for a crime a day, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it and get something out of it. And otherwise I'm on Twitter every, all day, every day, answering questions mm -hmm. from the folks that are part of what we call team justice. Yeah. And it's just Glenn Kirshner too. So YouTube is Glenn Kirshner. Twitter is Glenn Kirshner too. And I look forward to, to communicating with everybody on those platforms. Awesome. And what I'm going to do is put those links into the text of the Patreon description of the show. But I want to make sure everybody knows when, if you go to YouTube, hit subscribe and then also hit the little bell. Um, when you when you click on that bell, you're alerted to each new video. So just in case you forget, um, you get an alert that there's a new video up from whoever you've subscribed to. And then also it's good. I mean, I don't I never use YouTube, but I do watch people on YouTube. It's good when you hit the like button because it helps. If you really think what Glenn is saying is good, if you hit that like button, it's going to get pushed out and more people will see it. So I just wanted to add that in there. But Great, um, once again, Glenn, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, Great talking with you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad I got to talk to him, especially because um, the last time he was on, there was all these there was a technological issue, and um, I guess he was on Skype. I don't remember. One of them was I think it was Stephanie was on Skype, and he was on the phone, and they didn't hear each other, and it was just a whole big mess, and it was not his fault at all. And so it was great to be able to have this opportunity now to talk to him without having technical issues. Um, and I think he brought some really great points up. And so, you know, I can't say that I feel great <laughs> because I, I am worried. And as I was telling him, you know, I'm battling feeling stressed out. You know, I just, I feel stressed out for personal reasons. I feel stressed out when I go online. I feel stressed out for just, you know, the COVID situation and understanding that there's this huge, 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 desire from people all over the globe to treat other people fairly and it's beautiful but then I get scared because I feel like what is going to happen in a month what what kind of cases are we going to see how many deaths are we going to see we all you know sheltered in place for this period of time and now everybody's out on the streets I do know people are wearing masks but not everybody is and there are white supremacists out there who are not wearing masks and so I get nervous 
I'm, I'm having a nervous time if you haven't noticed. I'm just like, I'm getting, I'm just getting nervous about things. And I'm, you know, I'm worried for my mom. I'm worried for what's going to happen to this country. I'm, you know, as we, everybody says like, I can't wait until November 3rd. But what winds up happening for me is that, you know, you can't wait, you can't wait, you can't wait. And you see these polls and you're like, oh, my God, Biden's leading. We're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And then it's like the day of and you're like, oh, shit, because <laughs> you're like, what if it doesn't work? What if it does? What if this all goes to shit like it did in 2016? And then it's so close that you just want to like, can we buy one more week, even though he's still the fucking president? It's just the idea of like you don't want to know the worst possible news. So um it's, you know, as we inch closer, we're going to be seeing more turmoil. And I just I want to reiterate to everybody that it is going to get worse because Trump is going to continue to behave like a wounded, caged animal. And he's going to do more and more. And then we're just whatever the hell else is going to happen, you know, with fucking killer hornets and everything. God only knows what we're in store for. For these next five months, it's going to be a scary, rocky ride. And we're all just going to have to find a way to maintain and, and, and let it happen and understand that it's, 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 it's going to hopefully be temporary. We'll be moving out of it, but we all got to vote. We all got to vote. I know everybody who's listening to me is going to vote, so <laughs> I guess I'm just preaching to the choir. So I should stop now. Um, I'm going to be talking to Frangela on Wednesday, as I said, and Steph is going to be here. I have to check which day she's going to be here. I'm going to look on my phone right now. Um, let's see. I think she's going to be here on Tuesday. And yeah, we're going to do Tuesday tomorrow, and we're going we're gonna to record a little bit later than we normally do, but that's going to be the patrons-only show, so we're going to record it two o'clock my time. Usually I record at like 12 or one. So it'll just be a little bit later than it normally is, but not much. So anyway, um, so yes, we've got uh, Steph tomorrow, patrons only. We've got Frangela, which I cannot wait to talk to them because they are so much fun. And it's going to be great to get their perspective as two black women and their comedians. And I mean, they're serious when it comes to this stuff. But they, you know, the last time that we had a conversation, it was so eye-opening because um, one of them had explained that when they were getting a job, I think it was like a white man who asked if, uh, I can't remember which one, I can't remember which uh, woman of Frangela had this question posed to her, but it was the white man who said, do you know who your father is? I mean, I have never been asked that question in my whole life. She was asked that question because she was black. I'm going to have to find out which one it was. But... Um, I've ne that's never left me. I just thought, oh my God. So they have really interesting insights that as a white person, you know, wouldn't even occur to me. I mean, I knew people experienced fucking racism. I knew that, but it never in my wildest dreams would have, would it, it have, I can't even talk, would it have occurred to me that that kind of a question would be posed on a job interview? That's disgusting and sickening. And so um, I do look forward to talking to them because I feel like we can, I feel like we can have productive conversations. But because they're so smart and they're so funny, it's it's not an overly serious kind of a, a feel. It's 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 fun, even though we we can tackle some really uncomfortable subjects. So definitely look looking forward to that. That's going to be on Wednesday, and you can find me, of course, on Twitter, author Kimberly K I M B E R L E Y. And then you can find me on, um, you can read my books on Amazon. Don't forget, don't forget, I've been getting some new ratings, yay! Some reviews are needed. 
on um, Apple Podcasts. So just throwing that in there. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.